We're going to prepare our hearts with the scriptures this morning. Do something with me. Say, Lord God, prepare my heart to hear your word. 1 Kings 18, verses 1 through 2, and verses 41 through 45. And then we'll be reading from James 5, 17 and 18. The word says, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. James 5, 17 to 18. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. The word of the Lord. What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Hey, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some really cool stories over the summer, stories that you guys should know, uh, stories from the Old Testament that we feel paint a really good picture of who God is and how you and I should relate to God. And today we have an amazing story in scripture from Elijah uh, that uh, Aswan just read. And it's one of the best things that I've read uh, that gives me so much encouragement as today we're going to talk about prayer. Now, Aswan read the scripture a little bit ago, um, and we see this character, Elijah, and oftentimes, especially in the New Testament, whenever authors uh, quote or refer to Elijah, they refer to him and his prayer life. Now, Elijah was a dude that knew how to pray. Now, prayer is an amazingly important thing in our lives. Uh, We've talked about it a lot, and we're going to be talking about it some more in the fall as we go forward. But for centuries and centuries and centuries, for millennia, for thousands of years, whenever women and men wanted to approach God, when they wanted to connect to God, they would pray. Uh, over, all throughout scripture, you see people, uh, as they are trying to come to God and, and approaching God and have a relationship with God, you always see this common theme of prayer being one of the most important things, if not the most important uh, piece that establishes a relationship with God. But here's the problem um, that we see today from Elijah's text. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys uh, have prayed and you didn't see what it was that you were praying about. Now, you might be that person that you pray and then 10 minutes later, you know what I'm saying, everything works out the way you want it to be. And you get that email confirmation that the apartment uh, is yours or whatever, or that person hits you up on Tinder. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Maybe that's how God responds to, to your prayer requests. But 
Hey, certainly for me, uh, there's been seasons in my life of real dryness where I was praying for something over and over and over again, and I didn't get any response I didn't feel like, where the thing that I was praying about hadn't changed, everything remained the same. And that's one of the most discouraging things that I've ever had to face. And certainly in talking to a lot of people here at Renaissance and in other people, it's weird, like when you're a pastor, it's weird how many conversations turn to God like really easily. I'll be at Harlem Tavern watching a game and then somebody say, oh, he's a pastor. And I'm like, Dag, I was just trying to watch the Jets lose, bro. I wasn't even trying to talk about Jesus. All right, man, what's your problem? Go ahead. And one of the number one things is you see so many people that deal with discouragement, that they prayed for something and it doesn't seem like God is responding to their prayers. And here's where we're going today. If you don't pay attention to anything else, I don't want to ever get used to a life where I don't expect God to show up in my life. I don't ever want to get used to a, a prayer cycle where I'm just not expecting God to show up anymore. And it's incredibly easy to, to really be overtaken by discouragement and to not even expect God to show up anymore. Now, Elijah had all of the reasons uh, to feel that discouragement that you and I feel on a daily basis sometimes. Uh, Elijah had all of the reasons, all of the, the same things that haunt us haunted him in this time, and he found a way to, to press through, and we're going to dissect this story a little bit and get some, some good meat in that, because I don't want you to ever get used to a life where you just don't expect God to show up in your, in your life. Now, what's going on in this story? Um, I want to first give a, a really good definition of what prayer is. Um, prayer is not necessarily giving God a list of things to do and God like a great admin or God is a great concierge and he arranges your day like, all right, your 2 p.m. Is, is on schedule. Everything is working all right. The C train, that's never coming on time. Even I can't do anything about the C train. Uh, the purpose of prayer is not to give God a laundry list of things to do, but the purpose of prayer is for God to enter into our present reality. For God to enter into our present reality. Sometimes that's a request that God grants and he meets a certain need that you want or God answers a prayer with a yes. Sometimes it's a no. And other times, uh, and I would say most of the time, it's a not yet or hey, let's me and you figure this thing out together. So Elijah is praying in 1 Kings 18, and he's talking to a dude named Ahab. Uh, verse 1, it says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, if you're not an Old Testament uh, nerd like I am, um, it's like, why is this dude Elijah so obsessed with rain? Right? Like, dude, it's not that serious. I don't know why you're, like, so intense on rain. If God makes it rain, then, like... What is he making a rain? Is he making a rain water or is he out here making a rain shellings or whatever they had, whatever the currency was? So Elijah is praying for rain, and this is dude Ahab in the story. Ahab is a king. Um, that's why the book is called First Kings. They're giving the chronological history of the Israelites, and uh, this came after a period of time when they had judges, and now they have kings, and they had some good kings. And then now they have some bad kings, and Ahab fell into the bad king territory. Uh, he wasn't a king that followed God. All of God's ways, um, he just didn't follow them. Uh, he worshipped a god called, uh, a false idol called Baal. And the, Baal was a Canaanite idol that a lot of people in the area would worship. And Ahab basically had one job, bro, follow the Ten Commandments. There's 10 joints you can't do. Like, there's 10 things. I'm telling you, don't do any of these 10, and you're good. You're Gucci. You could do whatever else you want to do. And he just does one. Like, the number one thing, don't do. Don't worship any idols. He does it. 
So God sends this prophet named Elijah to come and confront uh, Ahab, the king, the king of Israel, and try to steer him back towards God and God's ways. And one of the things that the people of Canaan thought that Baal did was that they thought that Baal was a god over rain. So Elijah shows up and he's like, yo, guess what? Rain shut down. It's not happening. Three and a half years, ain't going to be no rain on this land. There's not going to be any rain until I tell you there's going to be rain. Right? Because Elijah didn't have a Napoleon complex. He wasn't trying to uh, uh, stick his chest out or anything like that. Elijah was trying to let people see that the only God, the only real God, the only person that has power is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, not Baal or anything else, any of these false idols that you worship. So God uh, allowed Elijah to, to make that statement that, listen, it's not going to rain until we see it rain. So here, three and a half years after Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, that there was a drought in the land, uh, here you see Elijah saying, all right, guess what? Now it's going to rain. Now here's what they thought. They thought that Baal uh, in, the, in, the, in the spring months would be happy with everybody and he would send rain. And in the dry months, he was out. He got a good deal on Travelocity. He went on vacation and he wasn't uh, responding to their requests. But Elijah was trying to show you, listen, this is not a seasonal thing. There is one God who is in control of nature, who is in control of all things, and this God reigns supreme in every season and every single time. So regardless of your normal calendar, I'm gonna show you who the real God is. But we get to this, uh, my favorite part in this story. Elijah's name is on the line. Uh, he tells Ahab, the king, that there's not going to be any rain. There's no rain. Now he says, listen, God is going to bring rain into the land. And in verse 43, uh, he says that Elijah bent down to pray. And he's praying for God to send rain. And he tells his servant, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. Now Elijah had to be expecting, like God said, it's going to be rain. Great. Servant, Jeffrey, come on. What, what do you see? There's nothing there. Seven, he said, uh, seven times Elijah said, go back. Now, this is a recipe for discouragement. When you know that God uh, has a certain thing, that you know that God wants to do certain things, or you know, um, you believe that God wants to do certain things in your life, and you want God to show up in a certain way, and you're praying, and you're earnest, and it says Elijah bent down and put his head to the, to the ground. He was really praying sincerely, and he means it. And he asks his servant, hey, can you see any of the manifestation of anything that I prayed for? And his servant says, there's nothing there. Now, personally for myself, uh, I prayed for a lot of things, and we'll get to this a little bit later, where I really desperately wanted God to show up in a way, and it feels like when I look up my head from my prayers, the response is the same. Hey, there is nothing there. Now, one of the biggest uh, honors I get as a pastor and speaking to people um, is also people that have left church. They've left Christianity. And one of the biggest threads is I prayed for something. I prayed for God to show up in a certain way, and he didn't show up. So I left it all. And some of you guys, you might be back in church for the first time in a long time because maybe that was your thing. Maybe you were like, listen, I, I prayed for God to do this in my family, something that's really good, something that we really needed God to do, and he didn't do it. So you left and you said this whole thing is not all that it's cracked up to be. Now, there is um, a number of obstacles to a really good, healthy, flourishing prayer life. Uh, I want to talk about a couple. Um, uh, the first one, the, one of the biggest obstacles is you and I don't have enough time. Uh, the, the type of pace that a healthy prayer life requires uh, doesn't fit in neatly in between the 10 seconds of Netflix saying, do you want to continue watching? 
right? Like you can't just say, okay, the next show starts in 60 seconds. Let me just get a prayer in real quick. God, I don't know why you're not answering. I don't know. I'm like praying every day. I don't know what's going on. But in all seriousness, the, the, the type of rhythm that our life requires uh, in order to have a, a prayer life that is actually a life, not just an obligation that we feel guilty about not doing enough, um, it requires us to have more and more time. You and I are really, really, really busy and not in a good way. Uh, we have so many demands, we have so many obligations, and many of them are good demands and good obligations. Anybody in here um, with kids? I was talking to Chris yesterday. Chris has two small kids, two kids under two, and we were just laughing at the things that we say we're going to do, and we just never even remotely get uh, a half, of, half of one of them done. Right? You start off the day with this great ideas of what you're going to get done, and then by 6 p.m. you're like, you know what? I give up. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and wallow in my defeat. Uh, but certainly, there's so many times when you and I have great intentions. We want to do certain things. Uh, we want to get things accomplished, and we just don't feel like we have enough time. And here's a, and the crazy kicker, especially if you're active and involved in church, uh, even Renaissance. Uh, oftentimes, we can talk about God a whole lot more than we're talking to God. We can do a lot of things for God and are not experiencing transformation from God. We can talk to everybody else about what God is, what God is like, and you and I are not experiencing deep transformation from God, and you and I are just too busy. Now, I know the pressures of New York City. I, I got six fingers left from cutting a finger off every month to pay rent. I know what it feels like to have all of these time pressures, but one of the best remedies I know, and there's some things that you and I are going to have to learn, and one of them is a magic word called no. There are some good things that you and I have to say, start saying no to in order to fit some prayer, uh, some time into our lives. Now, I'm not going to compare your life to Elijah like, hey, Elijah prayed. You can pray. It's super easy. Um, but, but I will say this, that what God wants to do inside of us is not a rush job. Uh, that what God wants to do with us and through us and to us and inside of us and to ways to transform us doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in the modern day pace. Uh, you and I, in this generation, if there's anything that we crave more than anything is instant results. And prayer doesn't work like that. Prayer doesn't uh, have instant results uh, so often. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about why doesn't God just answer our prayers um, quickly or, or more soon than we would like. A couple of reasons. Um, Jesus tells us in, in Luke 18, uh, he tells a parable about a, a widow and an unjust judge. He says, yo, listen, people should always pray and not give up. And he tells a story about a widow who goes to this judge over and over and over and over again, presenting his request, her request. And Jesus likens her request to our prayer life. And it's not because God is a curmudgeon or that God doesn't want to answer our prayers. It's that prayer and praying for something persistently, it does something to us. Number one, it focuses our attention. When you and I pray a prayer request over and over, it's not to remind God. He doesn't need to be reminded like, oh, that's right. She does need to pay her rent. My bad. All right. Let me, get, let me throw her something on that. If God answered every single prayer um, in two seconds, God would no longer become a father to you. He would be a vending machine that dispensed everything you wanted at the drop of a hat, and there would be no relationship being formed between you and God. And persistent prayer focuses our attention not on a blessing, but on the blessor. And it forces us to spend time cultivating relationship with God. Secondly, it clarifies our requests. 
that a delayed answer, a delayed answer allows us to think about what it is we're actually praying for. Now, certainly, if you've been a Christian for a couple of years, you can think back to things or people that you prayed for that you are grateful to God that God did not answer that request. There are some things that you and I will go to God with, and the fact of uh, having to go to God over and over and over and over again, that in and of itself refines our prayer lives, and it helps us to clarify what it is we want and why we want it. Thirdly, it tests our faith. Um, James 1, 3, and 4 says, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when endurance is fully developed, you'll be mature and complete, needing nothing. And the only way you and I can grow to spiritual maturity is to have our faith tested. And one of the ways that God tests our faith is by delaying some answers to our prayers. So the biggest obstacle to our prayer life, one of the biggest ones, is we just don't have enough time uh, to really uh, devote ourselves to the pace that prayer requires. The second one, this one is one of my favorites, relying on good feelings, right? Having a conversation with God should be amazing, right? It should make us feel really incredible. You should just feel like doing the prince dance when you're done after uh, praying. You should feel like God has just opened the, the windows of heaven in your life, but oftentimes 99.99999% in your life, you will pray and you won't feel anything. Now, here's what Elijah was doing. He was getting down to pray, and he was relying on what God had told him was going to happen, not on what his feelings were. And if there's anything that faith is, faith is persisting in a course of action despite how you feel about something. That's what faith is. Faith is persisting in a course of action despite how you feel about something. And a lot of us, uh, certainly myself, um, Sometimes we experience real dryness in our prayer life and we think something must be wrong because I don't feel God doing anything. Let me tell you this right now. Feelings are one of the worst, if not the worst, guides for your life. You want to know why? Because what you feel right now can be radically different in nine seconds. What you feel about the person sitting next to you can change like crazy in seven seconds. And your feelings can go from wild extremes. And a lot of us, we've submitted the direction of our life to how we feel at the moment. And that is a terrible, terrible guide for your life. Uh, one of the authors that I read a lot, a guy named Henry Nowen, uh, he has a quote like this about prayer. He says, sometimes we experience terrible dryness in our spiritual life. We feel no desire to pray. We don't experience God's presence. We get bored with worship services and even think, Everything we've ever believed about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is little more than a childhood fairy tale. Then it's important to realize that most of these feelings and thoughts are just feelings and thoughts and that the Spirit of God dwells beyond our feelings and beyond our thoughts. It is a great grace to be able to experience God's presence in our feelings and thoughts, but when we don't, it does not mean that God is absent. It often means that God is calling us to greater faithfulness. It's precisely at those times of spiritual dryness that we must hold on to our spiritual disciplines so that we can grow in new intimacy with God. Now, um, our feelings are a terrible, terrible guide for us. Uh, this past Thursday, I think it was this past Thursday, in our CBR, Renaissance CBR, shout out to everybody doing the Renaissance CBR journals. Um, the reading was Mark 4, and Mark 4 is an amazing account of uh, how rapidly our feelings can change and why they're a terrible guide for us. It's a story of Jesus being, spending time with his disciples, and everybody is super excited about all the things that Jesus had just done. Jesus says, hey, all right, everybody get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. Jesus goes down. He takes a nap. Now a storm hits. 
Now, like 30 seconds ago, they had just experienced Jesus and his power, and everybody was over the moon, excited. And now, because a storm arises and they see Jesus sleep, because there's not an immediate response to what they want, they run to Jesus, and this is what the dude says to Jesus. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Now, minutes earlier, they had just experienced these high moments with God, and now all of a sudden they're telling Jesus, they're accusing him, their feelings are accusing Jesus of saying, you don't even care about me, you don't even care if we die. Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind and the waves, and then their emotions change again, and now they're, they're amazed, and they're like, oh, Jesus is so awesome, bro, you're amazing. Now, their feelings are a terrible guide for how faithful Jesus is, and all of our feelings will lie to us and, and give us... Uh, these fears that Jesus is not faithful. He doesn't care about you. He won't respond to you. What is going on? And if you allow your feelings to be the guide um, on how you're doing, on how God is doing, on how present God is in our lives, you and I are going to be on a very nauseating roller coaster through life. Now, the third thing, um, uh, the biggest obstacle that we see to our prayer life is uh, where we're going to land today. It's a results-oriented approach. Now, this might be the biggest one where uh, you approach prayer as uh, this results-oriented approach where uh, prayer is only good and prayer is only effective and prayer is only valuable and it's only worthwhile if I get this, these specific results as an outcome to my prayer. Now, I know um, the feeling and I know the, the fallacy of having this results-oriented approach firsthand. Um, for a lot of you guys who know me and my wife, uh, we're both widowed. We both lost our late spouses in our 20s, um, I lost my late wife to cancer. And uh, while she was sick, I was praying like all day, every day. I was having other people pray, we were fasting, and we prayed over and over and over and over again. And after she died, uh, one of the things that surprised me about my life after she died was that I wasn't praying anymore. Like I had almost completely stopped praying altogether. And uh, you know, I would say the prayers that they told me to say on Sunday mornings, um, but besides that, I had basically no desire to pray at all anymore. And here's what I found about myself, and you might find yourself in this boat as well. Uh, once God didn't answer my prayer to do what I wanted God to do, I really didn't have anything else to talk about. And I realized that for the vast majority of my life, my life uh, I hadn't been praying to God for God to enter into my present reality. It had been God, yo, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need this. And when, if that is all prayer is about, once you don't get what you want, you'll stop praying when you don't get the, res the results that you want. Now, again, I know this firsthand, uh, but if prayer is just about uh, God doing things that we want him to do in the order that we want God to do it, then when God doesn't show up for us, you and I will just stop praying. When God doesn't show up in the way that we want him to, we'll stop praying. And I love the story of Elijah over and over and over again, even though he didn't get the results that he wanted, he kept telling his servant, go back. And he kept praying. Now, here's what I want from everybody in this room today. I don't want you to turn into Elijah tomorrow. Um, I don't want you to experience, I'm not hoping that you experience the, the ceiling of your apartment rip off and for a tornado to blow through your, your living room. Uh, but I do want your prayer life to be a little bit better tomorrow than it was yesterday. Right? That, that would be an amazing goal. If your prayer life is a little bit better tomorrow than it was yesterday, that would be an amazing, uh, an amazing thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for things, right? Jesus prayed for things. Moses, David, everybody in the Bible, people prayed for things. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that can't be the entirety uh, uh, in the sum of our prayer lives. 
Uh, so what allowed Elijah to continue to pray, even though he wasn't getting the response that he wanted? Uh, and what will allow you and me to uh, continue to pray and to not give in or to continue to expect God to show up in our lives? Uh, the first thing is that Elijah knew that God was powerful. Uh, Elijah knew that God was powerful. Now, earlier in this chapter, in uh, chapter 18, um, you see a, a story about Elijah and all of these other false prophets of Baal, and they're all sitting around uh, this, this altar. And they're like, yo, let's see whose God is real. Uh, whoever's God is really real, they're going to send down fire from heaven. So he's like, all right, go ahead. Y'all go first. I'll just sit right here. He sits back. He crosses his legs. And um, they are praying. They're trying their hardest, and nothing happens. Elijah then goes, gets some water, dumps water all over the wood. And if you guys have ever barbecued, right, pouring water on top of your charcoal or your wood is not a good way to get that thing started. He pours water all over it, and then finally, after he pours water over it, he prays and God shows up for him. Now, one of the biggest, the biggest strengtheners and the biggest things that helps us overcome discouragement is remembering times when God has responded to us in prayer. Remembering a time where God has actually shown up and made a way. And when you guys sing that song, You Made a Way, and those thoughts that came through your head and the ways that God has shown up for you in the past, one of the best ways for us to deal with discouragement in prayer is to remember and to name and to write down the ways that God has shown up in the past. After God delivered the children of Israel in Exodus, he told them to pick up stones from the middle of the Red Sea because I want you to remember the way I delivered you today. There's going to come a point in your life where you're going to start to doubt. And when you start to doubt, I want you to look at that stone and to remember the ways that I showed up in your life. And God doesn't want us to forget that he's powerful. And for a lot of us, you stop praying because you stop believing that God was powerful enough to do what you want to be done. Now, I'm not saying this is a blank check that God is going to do everything that you want him to do, but I do want us to listen to Elijah and let him speak into your life to go back. That thing that you stopped praying about because you felt, now, nah, well, maybe God doesn't care or God's not powerful enough to do it, go back. And I want you to continue to pray. And listen, it might not happen in the way that you want it to happen. The situation might not go exactly like you want it to go, but I don't want us to lose that expectancy that God will show up in our life. And I want us to continue to wrestle uh, with God and who he is. Now, even if you don't have something that flashes in your mind right now, this is why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. Now, after Jesus was crucified, um, he, he predicted his crucifixion and his resurrection. And the, the least likely um, heroes of the story now were starting to risk their lives to tell everybody that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Let me back that up for a second. So after Jesus was crucified, everybody scattered. All of his closest followers, they ran away. They went back to their previous jobs. And these are the least likely heroes of this story. And then something happened three days later something that changed their life so much that they were willing to risk their lives and give their life based on what they, not just what they believed, but th what they were telling everybody else had happened. Now, what do you believe so much that you would give your life for it? That somebody was like, yo, I mean, are you really, do you really believe this so much that you would actually give your life for it? And this is what um, the disciples and those who wrote the New Testament, this is what they believed so much so that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And check this out. If God can resurrect Jesus from the dead, he can handle our prayer requests, each and every last one of them. And the second thing uh, that allowed Elijah to pray, uh, even when it looked like he wasn't getting any answer, was that Elijah's relationship with God made him bold. Uh, Elijah's relationship with, uh, with God made him bold. 
Now, we have a way of not wanting to inconvenience people that we're not close to, right? Like, if you don't really know somebody, uh, you wouldn't want to inconvenience them. Um, some of you would because you have no shame, but I certainly, I wouldn't. Uh, years ago, I was in middle school, and uh, one of my friend's mothers gave me a ride home from basketball practice. We got about 100 feet from my door, and I was like, yo, I don't have no keys. And it was a winter time, so it was freezing outside. And I was like, well, should I, ask, should I tell I don't have any keys? Or I can be the genius and just say, no, I'm fine. And I got out the car and pretended like I had the keys, and I waved, like, thank you so much for the ride. And I sat out in the cold for like two hours. Yeah, it's very sad. It's... <laughs> it makes no sense why I did that. But since I don't know her, I didn't want to inconvenience her. Had that been my mother, I absolutely would have inconvenienced her. I'm like, yo, I ain't got no keys, man. We about to go to McDonald's or something, because I ain't sitting out in that cold. And being someone's child gives you a boldness to ask them for things that you wouldn't ask someone that you don't know. Check this out. When scripture tells us how to pray, it tells us that we are to enter into God's throne with boldness. The Jewish word for that is chutzpah. There's a, there's a story about a, a lady. She takes her grandson to the beach, and she gives him a pail and this yellow hat. And she's watching him play, and the wave comes and crashes and takes her grandson into the sea. She runs up, and she's like, bring my grandson back right now. The wave washes her grandson back on. She looks at him, and she says, what about his hat? He had a yellow hat. <laughs> that, that is boldness. That is chutzpah. And only a child can do that. Check this out. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel turns us from strangers to children. 1 John 3 and 1. 1 John 3 and 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Now, a lot of us have stopped praying to God because we don't want to inconvenience God or we don't want to, to frustrate God. But if you are God's child, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, check this out. This is what God has done for you. God has made a way. In Matthew uh, 25, uh, it says, uh, 27 rather, it says, And when Jesus has cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And this is Jesus on the cross. He says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now, check this out. In Old Testament days, if you wanted to come to God, you had to go through the priest. And the priest would go once a year on behalf of all of the people, and he would go behind this veil into the Holy of Holies. But the scripture says, when Jesus was crucified, having fully satisfied all of the separation between me and you and God, the veil was torn in two, and you and I could enter in the same way that we would enter talking to our parents. We can enter with, with boldness. A couple of days ago, um, Jessica was having a rough day. It happens to the best of us, right? Even though I'm a very supporting husband, she was having a rough day. And she was trying to put Jameson down for a nap. And in one of his typical ways, he was not going down. He's like Bruce Lee when it comes to fighting naps. He's pretty proficient at it. And Jessica started to cry. That's not Jameson, by the way. <laughs> Jessica started to cry. And instead of being empathetic, and you might need to pray for Jameson on this one, he looks at her crying, and he starts to laugh at her. <laughs> then he slapped her in the face and smeared her tears over her, over her face and then on his own face. Now, if you and I were talking at the service, and you're like, hey, man, I'm having a really tough week, and you start crying, and I start laughing at you, and then while you're crying, I smack you in your face, smear your tears on your face, and then on mine, you would think that I had a complete 
nervous breakdown, right? But let me tell you who you wouldn't question if they did that to you, your child. Now, what Jesus has done is not establish a relationship of professor to student, of employer to employee. What Jesus came to do is to abolish the separation and so that we are no longer slaves, but sons. We are inheritors. We are sons and daughters of the king. So check this out. Listen, if you stop praying for something because you don't want to inconvenience God, go back. I want you to go back and I want you to continue to pray. I want you to approach God with the boldness of, of a child not a child that has to do everything right because the gospel says that it wasn't you that did everything right. That's the whole reason Jesus came. If it depended on you, you and I would never be able to enter into it. And that's why so many of us have a difficulty praying because we're not receiving and believing the gospel. We're always in this courtroom of how well we have done. And guess what? There's always, a, there's always more you could have done. There's always better you could have done. But justification in Jesus means that we are relying fully on what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf so that you and I can approach the throne of God with boldness. So check this out. Today, um, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, I hope you guys got a connection card. Um, if you got a connection card, inside of it, there's an index card. And I want you guys to, to, to write down a prayer. And there's greeters coming around right now. Uh, if you need an index card or a pen, um, they're going to come around and they're going to pass them out. Just raise your hand if you need one, and they will, um, uh, they will pass them out. And this is why you guys got to get the connection cards, because you never know what we slip in there. And this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about that thing that you stopped praying about, a situation, a person, for that person to come to faith in Jesus, whatever it is. Uh, if there's something in your life that you stopped praying about because you questioned whether or not God was powerful enough to do it, or if you've been... Uh, buried in your own shame of what you haven't done well enough or whatever, I want you to write down that situation, that prayer. And while we take communion today, I want you, there's going to be baskets here that you can just fold your index card and you can drop your prayer in the, index, in the, um, in the greeting basket. And this week, as a staff, we're going to pray over your prayer requests. And I don't want you guys, listen, I, I, want, I want, I pray and I hope that this sparks something in, in your life that you guys don't ever get used to God not showing up in your life. Where you don't just say, well, you know, it didn't happen for me, so it is what it is. No, no, no. I want us to go back and to continue to go back and back. So the band is going to play uh, softly for a couple of minutes. And I want you guys to take some time and just write out something. If it feels weird, just go with it, right? Just, just, just go with it to whatever extent. And when the worship team starts to sing, um, I want you guys, if you... Um, uh, feel led to take, to take communion. Uh, if you normally take communion, uh, I want you guys today, when you're coming to take communion, to drop your prayer in the basket that's going to be on the front of the stage. There's one up here, and there's one going to be right over here. And I want you to write down this prayer, and I, I want you to uh, expect for God not to necessarily answer it in the exact way that you've written it down, but for God to enter into your present reality. So right now, the, the band is going to start playing, and when they start singing the song, when you're ready to take communion, uh, please, I want you to drop off um, your prayer. Now, here's the beauty of communion, the beauty of the gospel. It's a reminder of what God has done for us, right? It says that Jesus Christ poured out his blood for us, for the remission of our sins, and his body was broken for us. 
Now, Paul asks a question in Romans. He says, if God didn't spare his own son, then will he not along with him also graciously give us all things? So there's no prayer request too bold. There's nothing too big to, to ask of God. Uh, we're coming to a Savior that has already given us his best. And God, it would delight the Lord to, to answer. So they're going to pray for about two minutes while you write. And when they start to sing, feel free to come up for communion.